Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson. And as we've been doing, we had Stu Kedwell on earlier in the week. Hopefully you had a chance to listen to that one. Stu really laid out uh, his view on equity markets, particularly North American equity markets, which is his area of expertise. Uh, but talked a little bit about fixed income. And we'll get somebody on over the next few days uh, that, that's, uh, that's more of a specialist in the, in the fixed income area, but laying out sort of a market view. So, of course, we want to get prepared for 2023 and what may or may not happen for investors this year. So when we talk about economics, we only go to one source, and that's Canada's hardest working economist, who's, I think, been off for m much of the last month, hanging out in the Dominican. That's Eric Lascelles. Eric, uh, chief, in chief economist at uh, RBC Global Asset Management. Welcome back. Happy New Year. I'm now the CIO. I'm the Chief Inflation Officer as well, by the way, Dave. But oh, uh, there, nice, oh, nice you, to you, talk to everybody. I, I, I was I was trying to throw CIO in there, but uh, and you're usually reluctant to do that because we don't want to get your boss angry. But if he's flipped that title over to you with all this inflation <laughs> excitement, uh, congratulations! Another. Oh, well, thank uh, you. I'm, I'm hoping uh, we all lose that title very soon, actually. Well, you, you know, once again, just more work for you. Um, you're, you're, you're squeezing 25 hours into a 24 hour day. Now you're going to have to squeeze 26. It's, uh, it's just amazing. <laughs> I think Mars has slightly fewer hours. Remind me not to move to Mars. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't move to Mars, but, uh, what, what they can't see up. is a be beautiful. No, it's beautiful. more, it's more 37 more minutes. Remind me to move to Mars, Dave. Uh, this is there we go. Here. Might it might as well be on Mars. Squeeze out those 37 extra minutes. Yeah. But you, you're not going to get that beautiful tan on Mars. I don't think that's, uh, no. No, no inflation there either, as it stands right now. Ooh. So that's that's a plus. Well, that that's it. Yeah, yeah. A whole a whole big lack of supply and demand on Mars. So you know, and and very very poor. Well, we've knocked off our first topic, Dave. Uh, I mean, Mars. We we ticked that one off. What else is on the agenda here? Yeah, Mar Mars. Uh, <laughs> Mars does not have uh, any. Uh, is is known for its weak, or very very uh, very easy monetary policy. I don't know if you know that. I'm sure you do as, a, as an economist. No, no, I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, how fascinating. I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners are loving our, our, our witty our, banter as well. Our, our witty banter. So let's get, let's get down to business uh, and, and let's go, go come back to earth. And uh, so, so, so why, don't, why don't we start with, uh, with sort of what, what's happened news-wise over the last couple of weeks. So uh, why don't we start with the, the jobs report last week? And right. wow, it just things just stay, you know, pretty good, eh? It's it's uh, it's 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 kind of amazing. Yeah, job numbers still looking great. I mean, U.S. had a little over two hundred thousand jobs in December, and Canada had a little over a hundred thousand. Which, for anybody who knows the population ratio, there is a crazy number. Really, really good. Uh, so, job number holding together. I mean, as always, you could dice it different ways and make comments about this and that. And a few, you know, you could say, for instance, in the U.S. I was you know, good, robust number, and yet also the weakest month of hiring in two years. Uh, that really says more about the last two years, by the way, which was incredible hiring. So it is, it is sort of steadily decelerating. They couldn't really say that about Canada, I suppose. But uh, so job numbers holding together, I think, is, is the big story here. Now, let the record show job numbers tend to be a lagging, not a leading indicator. So that's not actually the first place we go when we're looking for downturns and recessions. Uh, Aaron Ma, who was sort of split between uh, Dan Jornis' team and my team, did some nice work recently for us. Uh, and he found that historically, uh, the first job loss is two months one to two months after the recession. So uh, again, you know, don't look for job losses and then say, hey, the recession is coming. It will probably already be here if we're, if we're in that scenario. Uh, what we did find though, was that you tend to see job creation 
descending below a normal rate about two months before a recession. So you, you can get a, a hint of what's coming uh, if job creation is just weaker than normal. And I guess the story right now is it's not. Uh, so right now, we apparently are not within two months of a recession would be maybe the way of interpreting uh, that as it stands right now. So yeah, labor market holding together. Uh, you did start to see in the US some of the tech sector job losses showing up in the actual numbers. The, the headlines have been there for a while, though a lot of those people actually have, have found other tech jobs. So the, the aggregate's not quite as bad as it looks. But uh, we were seeing a bit of softness there. And as I guess I've said before, you can see job openings down a bit, though still good. And you can see quits rates down a bit, though still good. Uh, initial jobless claims are still really low, so really strong. Uh, but continuing claims are edging higher. And so as much as there aren't an unusual number of people losing their job, I guess maybe it's proving a little harder to find a job if you did lose a job, which might be saying something. But I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. The labor market is holding together. Uh, if you want to see evidence of weakness, you need to look elsewhere. You can look elsewhere, by the way. And so as an example, and again, maybe focusing to start with on the U.S., uh, U.S. twin ISM numbers came out also quite recently, early early in 2023 for December. Uh, and you know, manufacturing one for a second month is sub 50. So that is strictly speaking, just a very tiny contraction in the manufacturing sector. But the news uh, was that the service measure, which had been sitting at a 56, which is like, I know it's not much far from 50, but you know, the range of operations about 45 to 60 here. So you know, 56 was actually a, a decent, if not robust uh, signal of a service sector that was growing happily, that service PMI uh, or ISM service number just fell from 56 to 49. Wow. So strictly speaking, yes. you could say both the manufacturing and the service side of the U.S. economy is contracting slightly. You need more evidence of that. You need more months of that. I wouldn't say the U.S. economy is in recession right now by by any means. But nevertheless, you know, we are getting little bits of of softness here, including in what we think are some pretty important indicators. And it was kind of similar for Canada, actually. The StatsCan has this uh, business conditions index, I guess it's called, pretty new. It's just a pandemic era creation, but it's a fresh, real-time type stuff. Uh, and you know that's fallen pretty palpably across the last month in Canada as well. So businesses are feeling more cautious. And I just saw uh, a U.S. survey recently that was also speaking to, I think it was, you know, pretty, pretty significant majority of U.S. CEOs expecting a recession and, uh, you know, adjusting CapEx plans in particular on that basis. And, you know, to some extent, expectations can be destiny there. So uh, when I think about 2023, uh, I, I celebrate that the data has been still pretty supportive, uh, particularly on the job side. Um, but, you know, we still think there's a slowdown. We can still see it very much in rate sensitive sectors like housing and so on. So likely still a recession, uh, a little bit less conviction. You know, we, we tend to deal in probabilities. Yep. It's much safer and much more useful, I sure. think, to do that. And so we've been saying maybe 70 percent chance. We had been saying 80 percent chance. And so the diminishment is partially a reflection that, hey, things like the job market are still holding up to our pleasant surprise. Uh, it's partially a statement about uh, Europe and you know, gas prices are down. It's been a milder winter. They're not going to suffer quite as much. It's partially a statement about China, which has reopened. And we, we knew they were going to. The betting had been March. It was December. So it's kind of a three-month surprise. And so it doesn't mean we're in a different place at the end of this year relative to where we would have been necessarily. Uh, but nevertheless, they've reopened earlier. And that means you know a lot of really short-term acute pain, both in a health sense and an economic yes. sense, as everybody gets sick. And you have companies saying that a quarter of their workforce is showing up because everybody else is, is sick or, or isolating. Uh, but uh, but you know out of that then emerges a, a, a rebounding Chinese economy and you know I, I I'm concerned about Chinese long-term growth and long-term headwinds but I have to say 
2023 should be a better year for them than 2022. And as we talk about a global economy that's perhaps slowing in 2022, China is a nice uh, counterweight to that and, and maybe does kind of diminish the weight of the, the blow, if that makes sense. So uh, I, I would say from an economic standpoint, we're still seeing a slowdown. We still expect a recession, but actually it's been more maybe good surprises than bad surprises in the last month on average uh and inflation too but i'm not sure if you want to talk well about we're, we're we're gonna do uh just just to uh to tee up as a tease for the listeners we're gonna do a uh, a little uh, eric lasalle special report on china uh later this month we're gonna we're gonna set up uh, get eric back uh to, to to do a deeper dive on china because it, it, it is pretty interesting everything that's going over there going on over there near term longer term uh, lots of stuff in a, in a, on an economy that, uh, that definitely has an impact uh, all over the globe. Uh, the other numbers that were out uh, this morning, and, and as another tease, we'll, uh, we'll, go, uh, we'll go deep with this uh, with, with uh, Stu Kedwell on Tuesdays next week. A uh, couple, couple of U.S. bank earnings out this morning, and a uh, little, little, little weakness there, and, and some, you, you know, again, as, as you mentioned, CEOs talking about, you know, the... the, the the risks in the economy that a recession is likely. Jamie Dimon, uh, um, J.P. Morgan says, you know, we, we, our, our base case scenario is now a mild recession. That's good. He's caught up to you. So, uh, so, so, so there you go. If you do, he's been there for yeah, a while. Yeah, I mean, if, if you if you can just catch up to him on on the uh, on the pay level, then you'll really be doing something. Yes, but yes. Uh, but you, you know, so so there's that 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 was showing some signs of softness, a little uptick in the in the loan loss provisions there. But 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 again, o- overall, you, you're you're the, the percentage you're putting on recession down a little bit based on some of this, you know, a little bit more optimistic projections. But still, your base case is a mild recession. Any anything else change or or or, or shift significantly from 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 where you were a month or two months ago? Right. I mean, by the way, on this, let, let me answer that. But first, yeah. uh, as a distractible person that I am, I think we both both might fit into that box quite <laughs> nicely, actually, which is probably not good for these conversations. Sorry, listener. Uh, but uh, I, I will start by saying that, uh, I mean, it, of course, in a banking context, Stu, Stu would be the expert, not me. But nevertheless, it's such an intriguing situation as rates go up. Like the net interest margins do better. That's yes. nice. But of course, it hurts housing and it ultimately hurts the economy. And that's not so nice. And I guess that that eventually uh, d- does dominate. But what's intriguing uh, is is that so far, I mean, it's not a recession, so I can't say it's been a white-collar recession because it isn't a recession at this juncture, but it's been kind of a white-collar blow recently, hasn't yes. it? I mean, it's the tech sectors uh, that are losing jobs, and it's now U.S. banks that are starting to engage in layoffs, it seems. And so it, it's quite fascinating. It's not the normal sequence of events. Often it's very much the opposite. It's kind of low-skill workers lose their jobs First, uh, often it's sort of capital-intensive businesses, you know, investing in factories and things like that. And so uh, it's, it's been a bit different so far. I'm not sure it's going to stay different, but it has been a bit different so far, which is interesting. And I, I guess you could say from a purely economic standpoint, to the extent these are maybe higher income jobs being shed, that does actually maybe have an outsized effect on the economy. Uh, th- though equally, you could say that higher income people often have a bigger savings buffer, and so there's less sort of cataclysmic effects. So it does it does slice both ways. But uh, to, to, your, to your question about uh, yeah, other, other things that have changed or changed our thinking, uh, I mean, let, let's make sure we talk about Japan for okay. a moment, because of course, they've, yes. they've pivoted out of, out of well, they're claiming they're not pivoting out of anything in terms of monetary stimulus. But I think functionally speaking, uh, the, the action is underway with the Bank of Japan and with interest rates there. But the other one is on the inflation file. And so, you know, inflation is still the biggest issue here. Like, let's not forget, that's the thing that's forced all the rate hikes. That's the thing that's probably setting up 
a recession and all the other bad things that we don't like. Uh, and so we need to watch that and it's behaving nicely. Now I'm, I'm happy about this one on every front because a, it's, it's good that it's behaving for all of us just, just personally and as investors, but it's also good because I've been predicting it. So uh, we, we've been calling for inflation, not just to come down, but to come down a little quicker than the market would think. And so I guess the latest hook would be December CPI. Or, uh, yes, that's right. Uh, latest CPI, November CPI, December, hold on, December CPI just came out for the U.S. Uh, and looked uh, you know, pretty good. It came yes. down further. It d didn't beat expectations or anything, but the expectations were for a, a nice improvement there. And so we are we are getting that. You know, American CPI peaked at 9.1% year over year. Uh, it's now down to 6.5. You know, we're you know more than a third of the way back to where we, we want to be, which is quite good. Uh, and Importantly, the breadth of inflation was narrowing as well. You may recall before we could say, well, we knew gas prices were down in December. That was kind of a, a known quantity going in. And that's, that's a big part of CPI. So you sort of knew it was going to look better. Uh, but, you know, a lot of smaller items were looking better. Food inflation really continued, I should say, to decelerate. That story, uh, I've noticed that a little bit in the grocery store. A couple things became less expensive recently, and it's not rising quite as quickly as before. So we are getting some cooperation there, which is really important. And so the, you know, the thinking is the Fed maybe just does a 25 in February instead of a 50, and it does have some some positive cascading consequences as, as well. So that, that's, that's been, I guess, a, a happy trend and one that we think has a pretty good chance of, of continuing. Yeah, I saw even a, a tweet this morning, uh, Tesla is lowering prices on their on their cars you think of that which is you think that's almost impossible you look but but you look even more broadly across used cars uh you talked about natural yes. gas i mean natural gas uh in august uh kissed almost ten dollars now it's it's about 350 that's a 65 percent reduction yeah. so there's there's all kinds of examples across the economy of where prices have even moderated or downright come down um some of the building blocks yeah. of the economy and, uh, and, and that's fundamentally good news. So you say maybe the Fed only goes 25, but where's your thoughts now in, in terms of where you think the Fed peaks out? Uh, Bank of Canada peaks yeah. out. Are, are we pretty much there? I mean, we're close. Or is, is there? Yeah, we're, I, mean, yeah. we're, I wouldn't say the view has changed radically. We're still thinking around five for the Fed, around four and a half for the Bank of Canada. But like that's really close. We're, we're, you know, we're a quarter point away from that in Canada. We're a half percentage point away from that in the U.S. This is this is getting to the, 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 the short strokes here. Uh, and so we're, we're not far, uh, we think. Now, you know, there's uncertainty here. And let's see how the inflation does evolve and how the economy evolves and other things can happen. You know, China rebounding in theory could push oil prices higher to the extent that they haven't been traveling around as much. Like there are there are some offsets that need to be factored in. We've had an unusual sequence of good news here that doesn't always persist indefinitely. But uh, as it stands right now, central banks are, are likely quite close to being done wherever that precise finishing point is, which is good. And uh, the, the other thought I always like to share when we talk about that is just, you know, and don't think this is the new normal. This is emergency setting for an emergency inflation situation. And uh, to the extent that inflation emergency gets resolved, and or the economy starts to look pretty weak, uh, we can start to talk about rates eventually coming down. And it's still sort of a provocative subject whether they would actually cut this year or not. And central banks will tell you, no, we won't, uh, but they might. There's a chance. Uh, and 2024 is, is, is completely fair game for that sort of thing. And at some point, they do need to get back to a 2.5% kind of policy rate, which is some distance lowers. I won't make, uh, you know, mortgage recommendations or anything like that, but I will say, you know, do appreciate that current policy rates and, and prime rates and other things like that probably are not the norm going forward over the long run. Yeah. And, and just a, an, another tease for the, uh, for the upcoming special report, Eric LaSalle's on China. 
Uh, just, uh, just if Chinese travel just returned to normal, it would increase the demand for oil around the world by 2 million barrels Gee. a day. Did you see that? Stat? I have seen the 2 million stat over and over again. I will confess, I should send it to me yeah. because I, I'm a little bit skeptical just because we did some work and it didn't. Yeah, yeah. I've seen our claims that Chinese oil demand fell by 2 million barrels when they locked down. I haven't quite seen that. Like we, it seemed to us it was less than a million, but maybe I'm missing something. In any event, I totally agree that there is an increase in demand that comes, and it is it is palpable. So maybe that's the main point. By the way, Chinese New Year, at least as we record this, very soon, Dave. Not much more than a week away. We could we could we could yes. sync all this up if we were clever. That that that's uh, that that's exactly right because this is our New Year's report on the on the, the 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 our our New Year, and then the Chinese New Year will have your your special China report. Uh, let, let's just finish up on. Um, on uh, on on one more thing, just a just a quick uh, quick flyover. Always of interest to Canadians, uh, housing market. Uh, you, yep. you touched on it a little bit. I, I I know you've been you've been kind of on the side. You've been I'd say maybe a, a touch more pessimistic than some on the on the Canadian housing market. Is, is that still your view as we're as we're seeing interest rates? You know, again potentially peaking out. Uh, is is do you still think we we're, we're going to see a pretty soft market, at least in the first half of the year? I, I'm, that is what I'm assuming. It just seems to me it would be hard to stage a big revival if mortgage rates just stay stay pretty high. And I, I know the term rates do have some movement in them, and there is scope for maybe we think bond yields could fall a bit over the span of the year, and so conceivably term mortgage rates could fall a bit as well, and that might prove to be a, a supportive factor. Uh, but you know, between the idea that we could have a recession in there with some extra unemployment and uh, and the idea that policymakers, even if they do cut rates, would be pretty tentative and towards the end of the year such. I don't know if there'd be a huge reprieve there. And so we're, we're assuming there is still some housing market weakness, not not catastrophe, but weakness and uh, you know, more manifested through home prices just coming down somewhat more. We, th we think we're probably at this point at least half, if not more than halfway through the home price decline. So I think a lot of that heavy lifting is is done. And so I, you know, everyone's got a different perspective. If you're in a home, you breathe a sigh of relief. If you're looking to buy, I guess you're, 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 you're queuing things up or something like that. But in any event, uh, we, we do think there probably is some further decline. This is not an exact science, as I hope everyone appreciates. There's a lot of psychology involved in these sorts of things that are not precise at all and trying to gauge the extent to which people uh, look beyond uh, their city to other cities and other other suburbs and things like this. And so it's not quite as easy as a precise supply and a precise demand meeting in the middle. Uh, and I, I will certainly concede that uh, on, this, on the demand side, my goodness, Canada is running a very hot immigration rate right now. It's in the realm yes. of, I mean, their target is 500,000 a year going forward, which is about double what it was not long ago. But it is already almost 500,000 a year as they play catch up after a, a low year in 2020. And that actually, I mean, not from a housing perspective, but it actually underestimates the real influx of people. Because, uh, for instance, in 2021, we had another 200,000 people come in, uh, I guess, temporarily in the sense of being foreign students. Uh, and being uh, temporary foreign workers. Uh, but the thing is, though, that program, those programs just keep growing every year. And so as much as those particular people might go home the next year or maybe four years later if they're students, uh, the, the next cohort is even bigger. And so it actually does add to the population in quite a significant way. And those people do need to live somewhere as they live here. And so uh, I wouldn't want to underestimate the, the underpinning of demand for a housing market and, and the inherent attractiveness of some of the big cities in Canada, uh, but, but equally just sorting through the mortgage rates and then the affordability issues suggest you could have a little more softness first. Yeah, and, and, that, and that immigration and, the, um, and, and just how successful the immigration program in Canada has been arguably over the, over the last, uh, well, several decades, 
uh, big, big underpinning to uh, to the, the, the Canadian economy, economic growth, and uh, and of course uh, the housing market. Yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, Im more immigration does all else equal mean more GDP growth, which does mean more earnings growth and more you know, customers for the bank and for all the other businesses. And so there are clear economic positives. Uh, you can always quibble a little bit and say, well, listen, you know, GDP per capita doesn't necessarily go any faster. So the individual person's salary doesn't necessarily go up. And so that's not necessarily a, a positive to every human being. And of course, it does make housing more expensive and maybe depress low income wages. So there are costs, too. Uh, but on the aggregate, Canada has been very successful over the long run at that and uh, integrating people into the country. And uh, you know, the surveys would suggest Canadians are still feeling fairly favorable toward that. And politicians, I suppose, are, are responding in kind. But anyways, uh, Eric, that is a uh, that is a terrific, terrific, quick summary as always. Really, really clear and uh, and straightforward, which is why everyone loves you. And uh, thank you, uh, thank you, as always, for being so gracious with your time last year. And uh, and it looks like uh, you'll be back regularly this year. But uh, always great to catch up to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management Inc. for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.